if you're looking to get people on to any journey, you've got to be able to persuade them that you've got a cause that's worth pursuing or fighting for. So you've got to be able to sell. Your ability to internally sell and articulate the rationale for doing something or, or moving into a particular direction, a particular market, where the potential lies. And you want to get people excited about it. That's a really, really key thing. We believe that to solve the biggest, most complex marketing problems, you have to blur the lines between intuition and reason, imagination and logic, the theoretical and the practical. Join us as we reimagine problem solving with leading B2B marketers on B2B Marketing Solved. We're your hosts, Richard and Benedict. Benny, we have Matt Hooper today, the CMO of Quantexa. What's he going to be talking about? So Matt is going to be telling us about the importance of defining your position before you do anything else in marketing, to be able to do anything else in business, and really being clear about what it is you want to be famous for. So this is certainly one that I'm very, very excited about. Great. Fantastic. Let's get into it. Welcome to B2B Marketing Solved. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. No problem at all. Do you want to give the audience a little bit of a, an overview, and intro as to who you are and, and where you've come from? Yeah, sure. So I'm a chief marketing officer for um, a big data analytics software company called Quantexa. And we're really sort of pioneering the next generation of, I guess, what we, you know, decision intelligence is what it's being called. It's the evolution of, of BI into DI. So, you know, we effectively make data meaningful um, so companies can make trusted decisions. So working across banking industry, across anti-money laundering, counter-fraud, those kind of areas. We work in sort of government as well. So we help companies find the, find the bad guys by connecting their data, giving them a, a network view of that. But we're also um, helping um, enterprises and organizations find the good guys as well in terms of customer intelligence. So uh, that's what we do. And I'm a chief marketing officer there. And which I've been there for two and a half years. And I've actually been in B2B technology marketing for 27 years, which is quite a long time. So <laughs> I kind of started off in 1993 for a US software company called Parametric Technology. There were no mobile phones. There were no social media channels. There was no MarTech. You had a fax. And it kind of went from there. So I spent a lot of time working for large companies, medium-sized companies, startups. I'm all about growth and helping helping companies realize their potential. And have you always been in the tech sector? I've always been in the tech sector. It's it's quite an interesting one because I know folks kind of hop around between roles and, and take different directions. But uh, I studied uh, business studies with a marketing major at uh, university and did my chartered institute of marketing. So your professional marketing qualification actually while I was there. And I got straight into technology. I, I potentially, you know, really liked the fast pace. I had a couple of friends that started working for Oracle at the time, back in the day. This is really sort of obviously in the early 90s. And the pace and, and really the challenge of taking software at the end of the day, software is complex and it can be complex when you're writing code. So taking something which, you know, is not a physical asset and generating value from that and turning that into something which has potential you know, to generate multi-millions of, and billions of pounds or dollars. That really excited me. So I've always stuck in and around that and also followed the kind of the technology curves as well, really working right across um, everything from mobile technology to CAD software, 
through to CRM, through to communications, communications platform as a service, you know, really across the whole sort of cloud agenda as well. And the great thing is, is that the market here and now today has never been more exciting uh, for a marketeer. When you think about the, the pace of change, you think about the evolution of account-based marketing, the evolution of consumer-based marketing models that are now coming over to B2B, um, the whole explosion of digital technology, all of those things make marketing a very exciting place to be in at the moment from a career perspective. Fantastic. And obviously, there's probably a number of different conversations that we can have based on that. But we're here today to talk about something maybe at the start of a marketer's journey when they're thinking about their plans and their strategies. And obviously, that's around the importance of great positioning and and great messaging. Based on your 27 years in the tech sector and all of the experience that you've garnered in high growth companies, why is this such an important factor for, for any marketer to consider? Yeah, well, the key thing is that it's the foundation for anything you do on a marketing perspective. And you've got to really, you know, you've got to build a house on solid foundations. So you've really got to have your positioning and your messaging pillars that enable you to communicate effectively with an audience, which effectively defines your corporate brand. Um, defines your go-to-market, defines your strategic place in the world, your value, all of those kind of aspects. So you can't really do anything successfully unless you get your positioning and your messaging right. And you can't do messaging without effective positioning. So, and it's one of those things that in some ways, you know, there's, there's great companies out there that do this stuff really well, especially, you know, around different areas. And I'm talking sort of B2B you know, technology specifically here. But at the same time, there are a lot of companies that don't get it still. They're still trying to, they, they think their product, their platform, and are so desperate to tell everybody how great their product is. Whereas prospective buyers at whatever level, they don't actually care about your product at the end of the day. So you've got to get those fundamentals right. And I'll just kind of take it back to, I guess, two key initial aspects. And you've probably heard of sort of the the red ocean, blue ocean strategy. And you've got to work out where you play and what you're actually trying to do in the market. So if you're kind of red ocean, where you're competing with existing products, you've really got to think hard about how you beat the competition, exploit existing demand. That requires a very different approach to if you're kind of more into the blue ocean piece, where you're, you know, you're basically creating and, and competing in an uncontested space. So you're trying to make any would-be competitors irrelevant. You're trying to create and capture demand. So you've got to work out quite quickly what is your big idea. You know, we talked about, you know, what do you want to be famous for? So what's the big idea? What is the category that you're trying to create? And you've also got to think big as well. You know, what's the multi-million? Depending on you know how, how ambitious you are as a business, what's your multi-million? Your multi-billion dollar market what are you trying to what are you trying to own and you've got to be able to build a really comparing narrative around those kind of aspects in order to get your point across because it's not about you and it's not about your product it's about something to do with a change in the world or really really trying to evangelize evangelize something which is different which ultimately gives you your differentiation so 
those are kind of key aspects. And like I said, I kind of feel it's become a little bit of a, a lost art maybe in recent years, especially with the focus on digital and, you know, a lot of folks now building their careers around that sort of, you know, the, the digital and technical aspect of marketing. So from your perspective, do you feel that still the majority of companies are sort of just running ahead, not giving that consideration in terms of what it is that they are actually there to do? You know, what pro- big problem are they trying to solve and thinking about their positioning? Do you think that still is a really big issue then? It is a big issue because it's never been more important. I think going back even sort of three, five years ago, you could you know, get away with, with a very sort of product-orientated approach in some markets. But I think that if you look at the amount of saturation, again, I'm talking sort of B2B tech and sort of B2B software here, the number of different platforms, approaches, the whole explosion of cloud, the whole explosion of SaaS, going from market to market, segment to segment, you have to be able to stand out from the crowd. So the kind of the three questions, and they sound simple, but I challenge anybody, just go and do it, write it down. Now, who the hell are you? Why should I care? Why should I believe you? And I would bet a lot of companies could actually write that down and come up with a really crisp definition, which would give you that real X factor, that wow factor of you know, what you really stand for. Um, and that's, that's important. But sometimes folks are so keen to move on to what are we actually going to do? What channels are we going to use? How are we going to build demand? How are we going to build this? How are we going to build that? But you've got to go from first principles. And those first principles come from building a really strong playbook, which sets the definition of your brand, which, which sets the pathway to building demand, but also sets the pathway, especially in growth as well, to your internal culture and your PVV, your purpose, your vision, your values. It all comes from great positioning. If you look at the companies that are super successful and that have done a great job, bring up an example, um, GitHub, for example, they're going great guns and they've tapped into the developer community, but they've done it with great positioning, great messaging. And they're not just talking about developer communities and developer platforms they really come up with something quite special and you know it, it kind of tweaks the emotion good positioning tweaks the emotive side of people it doesn't matter how technical it doesn't matter that it's kind of really sort of uh, down in the weeds business to business you've got to be able to show empathy and, and really show someone a vision that they can get excited about Oh, absolutely. It's got to have that that resonance, as you say, and probably primarily on the emotional um, side and then probably secondarily on the, the, the rational side. So just sort of almost to take this back to, to basics, and I'm sure you've been in this situation a number of times, as you said, you've been in with a number of companies all going through growth and therefore there's a lot of distraction probably that's going on within the marketplace. But at the beginning of your journey, and when I say your journey, I mean as a, a company's journey, what do you think are those essential like steps that need to be undertaken in order to get a good positioning. And also as part of that, I'm really interested to know who should you involve within that? Because it's not just something which needs to be sort of like owned by marketing and is sort of siloed away. It's got to be something which is actually jointly led with the sort of the leadership in the organization. Yeah. So Benedict, absolutely spot on. And I think there's a couple of key aspects. So I already talked about one of them. Where are you competing? Um, are you kind of are you kind of Red Sea or Blue Sea? I think 
when you start to sit down, you've got to think beyond the today. You genuinely have to think about where you where you want to go. You've got to be super ambitious, I think. You've just got to really think about what's going to turn you into a multi-billion dollar company, right? The other aspect I would say as well as the importance around positioning messaging is user framework. There are lots of good positioning frameworks out there. You, you can see a lot of them flying around, you know, probably more sort of traditional ones from, you know, folks like Gartner, um, Serious Decisions, you know, if you look at their position, they've got like a bio-led messaging, Nautilus and all of these kind of things, which look great. But you can kind of use a bit of a hybrid and, and use what's going to work for your company. But it's got to be something that's going to allow you to get the company or the organization's story written down, right? Um, and it is another sort of bugbear. Everybody's so reliant on PowerPoint these days. Everybody just starts chucking things into slides. Actually sit down and write the narrative to the story of your positioning and your brand and test it against the competition. The competition that you believe the market you, that you're in should not be able to put their logo against it. It should be specific to yours. So once you've got a framework, and you mentioned this point, that gives you the ability to then articulate something that you can start to work around the business. When it's positioning and messaging, you've got to be able to work with the leadership team. You also got to be able to work with the board and because they've all got to get behind it because, because you know, it's going to be your true north in the marketplace and, and it's going to be the, the kernel of how you build strategic value. So work with that. You know, in, in my case, I've worked heavily with the founders and my boss, who's the CEO in, in Contexa. It's really important to tap into why founders, you know, why they did this in the first place, why they all left their very well-paid jobs to go and start something up from scratch. And you can really sort of get the essence. And then you've got folks that come into come into the business as you grow, they'll bring different you know, pieces of industry experience, different perspectives, you uh, utilize your advisors. So as a CMO. And I think the, you know, I, saw, I read um, a few weeks back and I saw they talk about the CMO as kind of being almost like the chief connectivity officer. You're kind of connecting with your clients, your partners, the board. You're connecting with, you know, internally on a cultural basis, you know, let alone all of those sort of traditional marketing channels. So you, you have to be very good at stakeholder management. You have to be able to drive that because you will naturally get lots of opinions because we, as we've already talked about, it, it's the motive kind of thing. It's a, it's a journey in itself putting these kind of things together. But it gives you the platform for consistency. And then it gives you something that you've got to evolve. So the other point I'd make is you've got to be able to, you know, continuously evolve, learn from the marketplace, especially in a developing market. Things can change very quickly, six months, 12 months. So you've already always got to go back, keep building on the foundations, take things out and maybe have moved on, bring new thinking in and provide this kind of this vehicle really that kind of takes you on this continuous journey. Those are the key things. It, it, it's it's the primary thing to get right. That just those are some of the aspects that you need to employ. Great. And I think there's a couple of things which I probably will pick up on later. But firstly, I think it's a lovely idea about talking around the the CMO being that sort of you know fulcrum, if you like, in the middle between all those different departments. Um, and that's definitely something that would be interesting to pick up on. And and also you talked about the importance of your positioning, just as your brand, is something which is a living organism in some respects. It's got to be iterative and sort of responsive to, to the market. But just quickly before we move on, I'm interested in your thoughts about where you sit on the spectrum of 
instinct to sort of science when it comes to developing a positioning. And just contextualize that question a little bit more. Um, I've certainly experienced that you get some people who are like, well, I'm a a founder, I have this passion, I have this conviction, so therefore it's all about my instinct and my belief. And that should define, you know, where we are. All the way, uh, well, we'll ask you what the position is in a minute, Rich. Um, but, <laughs> and then on the other end of the spectrum, you get those people who understand, you know, that the research needs to go into it. They will work very, very sort of um, effectively with marketing to go through a sort of a segmentation exercise within the marketplace, targeting, drilling down into those specific needs. Now, I think it's probably somewhere on that spectrum, but when it comes to something like positioning, where, where do you sit in terms of instinct versus science, as I said then? Really good question. I sit with a, a, a foot in both camps. So I guess the thing that springs to mind, the whole concept of the, the innovator's dilemma, right? What spawns an idea that then builds into a company and growth and success at startup phase versus trying to be entrepreneurial and doing something new in a much larger company. So in a much larger company, you'll spend a lot of time looking at your TAM, doing your market analysis, going in with, you know, going in with the analysts, you spend, you know, many months on it. You don't have that option in a growth business as an entrepreneur. You've got to back yourself almost by instinctive market research, what you've seen as a gap from your experience or whatever. So I think it comes down to, to answer your question, about timing. When you're getting going, going in an in entrepreneurial place, I think it also comes down to the individual or the individuals as well, because I think you've got to have a, you know, you've got to have a huge amount of convic- conviction. You've got to be prepared to take those risks, to get on with it, and to really sort of, you know, light the fire of something that potentially is going to be, you know, a lot bigger. When you get a little bit more mature in companies, the stakes of investment um, you know, and again, I'm not saying the stakes are very high, you know, but on a very personal level when you first decide to get into one of these things, because it is, you know, it's you're you're either going to survive and thrive or you're not. That's just the way it goes. But when you start to get into a state of where you're potentially putting in tens of millions or hundreds of millions of dollars into a decision to go and develop a market or a new product or to build on a new idea, you have to have more structure and rigor behind it. And that's um something. You know, I think we we you know I've seen in a number of different companies, in, including the one the one that I've uh, um, come through now. You know, as we're getting bigger, you know, we have a lot of options in terms of the direction and the things that we can do in the marketplace. All of which are hugely exciting, but you have to have a rationale and a basis to which you make your decisions. So I think you've got to have a little bit of both. But when it comes to marketing, you've still got to you know you still got to have a really good touch and feel and a real instinct of the market and where it's going and get it directly as well just don't rely on what other people are telling you you know you need to get out there and talk to clients talk to partners talk to people that are using your software or your product as it may be so you know i'm not sitting on the fence but Maybe I am with a foot in both with a, with a foot in both camps. You've managed to sort of uh, argue it very successfully and give a very rational and balanced sort of positioning in terms of certain environments uh, require one approach and other environments require another. And I think that that does make a lot of truth. And I think it's something that marketers need to be conscious of, depending on the the company that they're working for and when to use intuition, when to use that more sort of uh, rational approach. Exactly. Obviously, you mentioned the role that marketing was playing in terms of bringing the stakeholders into um, understanding what the positioning should be. 
how do you best describe that role internally? Because when we talk about the science versus, you know, the passion, if you like, we've had a lot of examples as a business whereby sometimes uh, the brands have been bogged down in the data and the research and the insight. Uh, and we've had a lot of other examples of how the passion has won and uh, they've been running before they could walk. How would you articulate marketing's role to make sure that stakeholders come not just on the journey, but they come on the journey in an effective manner? Yeah, sure. Well, look, if you're looking to get people on onto any journey, you, you've got to be able to persuade them that you've got a cause that's worth pursuing or fighting for. So you've got to be able to sell. Your ability to internally sell and articulate a rationale for doing something or, or moving into a particular direction, a particular market, uh, where the potential lies. And you want to get people excited about it. That's a really, really key thing. So you, you've got to be able to sort of pick up that role as kind of your internal, you know, your, your internal sales, you know, chief sales officer for internal programs and, and, and these kind of things, right? So uh, that's really, really important. I think as well, you have to be able to articulate the pieces on the chessboard and where everybody sits. And in a growth organization, you've got to be able to think clearly about how you resource areas, right? So if you're resourcing sales heavily, you've got to be able to back it up with marketing, with product management, with customer success, and those kind of aspects. If you're building product, you've got to be able to understand the role of product marketing in terms of how that kind of sits, I guess, as the fulcrum between you know, product management and the technical part of the organization, and then back at, back out back out into the field and how that will actually be delivered as, as compelling product or solution down into the last mile. If you're building brands, folks don't often talk about demand generation in line with brand, but brand is all about creating demand so you can actually build it when it comes down to you know your field marketing or aspects of digital inbound or those kind of things. So you've got to be able to understand how all of these things dovetail together. And, and ultimately, marketing, you know, it's the kind of the chief enablement function for actually taking products and solutions and vision and packaging all those things up in the right way. So you can place them into market that's going to build strategic value for your business, that's going to create a groundswell of demand that you can then capitalize on and build out further. So that's, I guess, a little bit deeper around that sort of connectivity aspect. Marketing has got to be able to connect all of this stuff together. And if connections get broken, then you're not going to do it as effectively as you could do. No, agreed. I mean, I suppose just to play devil's advocate a bit, there are going to be people listening to this podcast right now to say, Matt, that's really good. And I understand the the things that we need to consider before taking something to market. But they also might be going, but my CEO is so keen on this positioning here. And they're really enthusiastic and passionate about it. And as marketing, I'm worried that I'm just going to go have to go along with the journey. Do you have any examples in your career as, as to how you've had to temper that ambition or the speed with with science? Yeah, and, and you you raise a very good 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 point there. Um, I, I think ultimately, you you mentioned the CEO, right? Key partner 
Vishos, the CEO in our, our business, tremendous guy. He's a great natural marketer, natural salesperson. You know, that's why he does what he does and I'm not doing the job, right? So, but that's why it sort of works, works beautifully. So the relationship has got to be strong. You may not always agree, but you've got to find a way to be able to position with data points if necessary, if you if you really got a strong conviction that is this is the right way to go. So you've got to have that kind of golden, that golden bridge strategy at the end of the day. So, and I think you've got to be able to discuss it and you've got to be able to sort of, you know, push around it, bring in some others for their opinion as well. It should never be just a one-to-one kind of debate or negotiation. If you bring in collectively folks, get them to input into the process and they can see where they've input, right? You're actually taking, you know, you often pick up these little nuggets that you can then package up and people will see that actually that was my point or that was my input into that particular point of message. People start to come along with you. Um, I think that's uh, that's really important. So I think, two, you know, two examples, you know, I've been into several businesses now where we started with this positioning exercise and it can be quite a hard negotiation. But I think, and the key for the C-suite is to really show what the potential is, to show the potential of the approach that you're pushing versus doing it a different way. And you often find that you do end up in the right place. Now, in a more slightly bigger, more complex organization, you've got to go through those. I remember one of the organizations that I was in, which was was really just, you know, we're kind of like two years through a, through a startup. We had a new CEO came in and said, right, we're going to do this and we're going to position the company over here and we'll take it that way. And I knew straight away that that would be an absolute disaster. So to totally contradict myself, I went into his office and said, you can't do that. If you take it in that direction, it's going to be a complete disaster. But I was very, very clear to the reasons why. And to be honest, and I'm sure it's not always the case, but but if you've got a a good two-way relationship and as an executive in the business, your CEO understands the role that you're here to do, and will take counsel and may, and may override you or overrule you on, on, on some things. They will take your experience, and they will take your advice, um, and they will listen. So I, I've not been in a position where a company's sort of done something totally different that I completely didn't, didn't agree with. I've always been able to sort of work and negotiate, understand the dynamics of the people that you're working with, and ultimately be able to paint you know, the picture and the rationale of why the company should be moving in a certain direction, why you should be positioning it in, in a certain way. Now you're you're always going to get differences to that, right? You know, walking walking into the late great Steve Jobs office and saying, "No, we shouldn't be doing this. We should be doing that." I I'm not sure too many people would have been uh, um, successful in changing his mind, but you know, he, he had a guy there that uh, you know was was a natural marketeer, a natural product marketeer, and you know, and, and brilliance in terms of understanding you know a market with absolute conviction in terms of what they wanted to do but you just got to be yourself and you just got to have a clear plan and you've got to be great at communicating you know and you've got to think things through really well can't get emotive about things right because ultimately you're the orchestrator of the journey you know it's not about anybody's individual ideas you just got to make sure you end up in the right place that pulls in everybody's input when we're talking around the the CMO or the marketing function more generally, playing that that pivotal role, being that very sort of apt communicator, listener, persuader, negotiator, so on and so forth, 
if we're looking at the modern day marketer, um, two parts of the questions. Firstly, how well is that understood, the role they need to play? And then the second part is considering the traditional skill sets of marketers, how well suited are they to that particular role? Yeah, so really good questions there um, in, in the two parts that you're asking. So I think marketers, I'm kind of coming at it from a CMO's perspective, right? Yeah. You've got to be, you've got to be on it right? In terms of marketing, where it is, where it's going. I do think, and I would challenge any CMO out there, especially in bigger corporates, how much marketing do you still do? You know, as a practitioner, how many stories are you getting out there and writing? Now, how are you testing yourself? How much input do you have? Or, or are you just managing teams and budgets? And, you know, and it gets, as you, as you go up the chain, you are doing a lot more of that kind of senior exec type of admin stuff but the thing i've learned and i've been doing this a long time now and and i remember being at one time you know the youngest guy in the slt or in the boardroom or all those kind of things and the importance of right get ready reading right reading because strategy marketing strategy marketing execution you know, the areas that I mentioned, the groundswell of digital, you have to be across what's going on. And um, one of the things I find fascinating at the moment, for example, is in B2B, we're all talking a lot about dark social, the impact of dark social on demand creation, right? And inbound. Dark social, you can't manage, right? But you know that, you know, Prospective buyers or influencers and companies sharing your content, using social media channels, using company Slack channels, you know, using LinkedIn and then sharing that back. You know, you've got a you know a good blog or a piece of content back through your your teams, you know, your teams chat or your team WhatsApp group or those kind of things. We know generally that dark social is the most influential marketing channel out of all of them. Yet, can you measure it? No, you can't because it's dark. Does it exist? Sure as hell does. Were we talking about dark social two years ago? No. Were we talking about 12 months ago? Yeah, maybe starting to. So those kind of things, and, and as someone who you know runs a, a decent-sized team, you've got to be on top of things yourself as a leader because you've got to be able to challenge the folks underneath you to also stay on top of what are the techniques. You know, what, what did I say the other week to, to remind people? So TikTok. Should we be using TikTok as a channel? Like, nah, I should be using TikTok. Yeah, that's ridiculous. That's, you know, that's just kind of consumer stuff for, for kids and all this other kind of thing. But I was like, well, yeah, but is it? But will it be in 12 months' time or two years' time? I can already see companies starting to use TikTok to drive through to their target audience. So you've got to invest in reading, right? You've got to invest in looking at where great content's coming from, you know, who are the commentators, who are the writers on marketing today? And uh, there's a lot of great stuff out there, right? And because of the nature of, you know, the way the way um, content works around the web, um, a lot of it's free. So I would say you've got to invest in that and you've got to stay on top of it. It doesn't matter if you're at the start of your career or sort of getting, I won't say the end of my career, but if you're sort of getting into the more, into the more sort of mature phases of, of your career, you need to keep on investing in this stuff. It's really interesting as well. Just for all the marketing listeners out there, uh, have you got any go-to places and destinations to consume content? 
go-to places to consume content. So I think there's, there's probably a couple. I still buy books, proper books on Amazon. Hang on a minute. I've got one here, actually. This isn't a setup. Oh, no. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm reading a big yellow book with an arrow on it, which is Product-Led Growth, How to Build a Product That Sells Itself by Wes Bush. There's some really good books out there, right? You can't sort of beat all that kind of stuff. They're, they're very in vogue, yellow books with arrows going uh, diagonally upwards, aren't they? Well, so, so you would think, right? Yeah, every, everybody wants an arrow going upwards in their... Um, I don't, I, Matt, you might not know, mate. You might not know. I have just la- launched a book that is yellow with an arrow going upwards. <laughs> Are you differentiating your offering enough? Is all I'd say to you. <laughs> oh, well played, Matt. Well played. Uh, maybe I was before it was published. Maybe not. Yeah, we didn't do our market research. That was the problem. <laughs> so, so yeah, so look, good old Amazon, and, and um, you know, and, and there's some great stuff you can read. I think the obviously the Mart the Martech platforms, right? You know, they invest in their community. I still find great blogs flying around. The guys at the guys and gals at HubSpot, they produce some great stuff, some great content. I still sort of dip into that. I think as well. I just organically search around a little bit as well. I'll tell you another one that's really good. There's some great, as well as this one, there's great podcasts out there. So there's quite a few from different sort of studios that are doing sort of good profile stuff, but also a lot around demand generation. So just getting on to Spotify, looking at some of the podcasts, I'm not going to give them a plug because I know we're on a podcast here and you probably wouldn't appreciate that. But uh, <laughs> We can edit that out anyway. So, uh, it's, it's a super podcast. And, uh, you know, there's, there's a couple of good sort of marketing, um, you know, academic institutes as well. There's, there's one the name escapes me, but down in Australia, actually, doing a lot of lot of work down around sort of marketing strategy that is kind of reaching over these shores. It's getting a lot of a lot of airtime. So, combination of strategy, you know, just getting around and organically searching. There's great stuff on Medium as well, and some of the blogging channels. It, it's it's kind of all over there. But to be honest, one of the best sources is just type it, just type what you want into Google, and you will find some value. You will find some value. I'm a firm believer that actually the, the best way of researching is to have a problem that you need to solve. Hmm. And then it is just through Googling it and then you can find it out. Also, in a similar vein, and it would be remiss of me not to ask, because you said dark social has you know exploded for want of a better word. So what are your top tips that you might give you know aspiring B2B marketers that are tuning in today about how you can best navigate dark social? Yeah, well, I, I think one of the first ones is the... A lot of folks would be out there using, as part of their MarTech stack, um, attribution software. Don't look at your attribution and just think, well, that's it. Believe it, right? Oh, attribution. Oh, I came from a website. Attribution came from paid for whatever. That doesn't have any bearing or reflection on what you're kind of generating around dark social. So, so look, I think one of the key things, and we all use it and we all talk about it, but I think... LinkedIn has never been more important in terms of B2B marketing. And the first place you can look at what's my dark social doing is looking at your followers. How many are you getting a week, right? If you're generating, you know, more and more followers, hundreds, thousands a week, a month, how are they getting there, right? Folks, folks are finding you. Folks want to follow you. You can, you also know that you're getting your positioning and you're putting your good content out to the marketplace. So don't think of LinkedIn as just you know something that you sort of tap into for your career or um or that you run ads now and again. Think about how you build your community. 
And then also take your offering into other communities as well. So really thinking, think about those blogging channels, all of those kind of aspects. And start to, I guess, think about how the channels that you use link into the demand that you generate, um, not just leads, but also engagement as well. So content marketing, you know, for me, I'm something really passionate about, especially when you're trying to create a market because you've got an educated market to create a market in order to create a demand. So really understand how to measure the engagement of your content, whether you're doing, you know, whether you're sort of doing a lot of video and you're starting to run video ads on YouTube or atomizing down white papers or eBooks, you know, working with the third party analysts. You know, a lot of folks in the education stage, stage of buyer journeys love to hear from the, the third parties in terms of the analysts. How is that being engaged? How many views are you getting of that? You're never going to be able to quite measure how that's getting shared. But if the right people are viewing your content, you can be sure as anything that they're sharing that content on. Okay. And if your followers, if your engagement is not going up, I would suggest that indicates a problem that you're not getting enough network effect in the marketplace. But if you've got really high trajectory, followers going up, more and more engagements, you kind of know that your dark social network is starting to work. But you've got to be a little bit creative because it's not anything, not yet anyway, that um, you know, attribution software can measure. So I see it all the time. Like uh, with us, when we send or I send over stuff to the team that I'm reading at a weekend or, or in an evening, uh, you always think it's been aimed at me and then I'm passing it down to five or six other people to read who in turn could then you know, pass it over to friends, family, colleagues, and it's completely, you know, offline and untrackable from the brand in question. So I think that's a very sound advice. Yeah. And, you know, just think in our business, we, we have sort of semi sort of formal, informal channels, you know, who doesn't have work WhatsApp groups now? Who's not sharing stuff in those WhatsApp groups? That's where, that's where the action is or in your, t- or in your team groups, right? How many calls do we go on to a Zoom call or a Teams call and someone's sharing um, content every time, every time? And it's exciting. It's been a good ranging conversation, starting off talking around that sort of importance of positioning and now ending up on dark social. So, yeah, I think that's been a, it's a really fantastic journey. And I think really good take homes. I think firstly, just that real, real reiteration of the importance of before you do anything, work out what it is that you want to be known for, what it is you want to be famous for, the problem that you are trying to solve and letting that be sort of the the bit which informs how you approach your product development, how you approach your marketing and, and communications is absolutely key. And equally, I think, yeah, a fascinating little conversation about the importance of staying up to date, uh, consuming content and uh, being abreast of those decisions, given the role that a CMO in particular needs to play as the nexus within their organization, being able to link together product, leadership, sales and everyone else in between. So, yeah, thank you very much, Matt. That's been very, very interesting. Yeah, no worries. It's, it's been uh, good, good, good fun coming on today and uh, hopefully... Uh... After all this time in the in the space, there's a few things that folks might might find out. Yeah, and we haven't even got to away guitars. So <laughs> <laughs> don't get me started on guitar. Otherwise, we'll yeah. have, we'll have to do a whole new podcast with three parts. <laughs> Cheers, Matt. Okay, all right, fellas. Thanks, Matt. Bye. Cheers. Bye. Bye. B2B marketing solved is brought to you by Allen Agency. To find out more about us. 
head to alan-agency.com and make sure to search for Marketing Souls in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else great podcasts are found. Don't forget to click subscribe so you don't miss any future golden nuggets from the biggest names in B2B marketing. On behalf of the team here at Allen, thanks for listening.